Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 281st episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast, which is brought to you today by Hulu's original limited series, The Act, which stars Joey King and Patricia Arquette in a gripping story based on real events and is now streaming for your Emmy consideration. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the funniest people in show business, an actress slash comedian who made her name on NBC's Saturday Night Live on which she has appeared for seven seasons now, dating back to 2012, and for which she has received two Emmy nominations, one in 2014 for Best Original Music and Lyrics, and one in 2018 for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, and who is now receiving rave reviews for the first season of Shrill, a much-discussed new comedy series on Hulu about a fat young woman making her way in 21st century America, which she co-created, co-wrote, co-produced, and stars on. Aidy Bryant. Over the course of our conversation at the Nomad Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, the 32-year-old and I discussed her rise through the world of comedy, which included several years working at Chicago's fabled improv hub, The Second City, how she wound up in New York City and on SNL, and what the highlights have been of her time on the show, how her weight shaped the sorts of acting opportunities that she was and was not offered during hiatuses, why she ultimately gravitated towards Shrill, even though it would force her to delve into deeply personal feelings and experiences that she has had throughout her own life, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. We always begin on this podcast with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Ooh, okay. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. My dad is a real estate agent mostly for historical homes. And then uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for most of my life, but now owns like a very cool gift store called Francis that's in Phoenix. Nice. Well, I have to ask, just because I don't believe I have ever met anyone else named AD, what's the story with the name? I I feel like people (laughs) always expect a cool story, and it's very boring. My name is Aiden, which Uh, is like kind of a more common name. But when I was growing up, people were like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Aiden? Like, they did not know. Right. But yeah, then my parents truly never once have they called me Aiden. (laughs) They always called me 80, so I never, yeah, I've always been 80, I guess. Interesting. So was it clear, I guess, from what age did did it become apparent that you were funny? Oh, I really don't know about that. I mean, I know that I, like, wanted a lot of attention (laughs) from a very young age. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like early on, my my parents are really funny. My brother's funny. So it was just, I don't know, part of living life, you know? And was comedy something that you sought out on TV or in other ways growing up? Like, were you an SNL watcher yourself? Yeah, totally. I mean, my parents watched SNL, so I was into SNL. And then then I really, like, surpassed them and became, like, an SNL psycho fan. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I, I loved Molly Shannon, and I loved, like, that era that was, like, kind of my sure, prime entire, time when I was yeah, first like starting. Yeah. yeah, and so I was, like, on, on a gas tire, yes. I was like, this is where it's at yes. for me. And I think I was like all of them for Halloween at different <laughs> points, you know. Well, so I was a little bit surprised to to learn prepping for this that you went to an all-girls Catholic school for high school. And I wondered if you could just share why that was and what the best and the worst parts of that were. Because it sounds like there were certainly both. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, well, I'm not Catholic, and <laughs> I had did not go to private school really at all. And then when it came time for me to go to high school, basically, the high school that I could have gone to wasn't the best, and my parents kind of pulled everything we could together so that I could go to this school because it, 
you know, it was an all girls Catholic high school, but it was super, super academic and like very, you know, I think most of my high school classes counted towards college credit. It was like a very intense high school. And so that's where I went. And I would say the worst part was (laughs) that like, it was really, really strict and very religious. And that was not who I was, and therefore I think they didn't like me. (laughs) They just, like, distrusted me deeply. And, you know, the best part, I loved, I really did love going to school with all girls. It Mm -hmm. was just, like, so fun and low pressure and really was where I first started feeling like, oh, I love to, like, hang with other women and write with other women or work together on projects and stuff. Well, so what sort of offerings did they have there in terms of both – theater and then specifically improv because I guess I read that's where it started yeah kind of I mean I basically I was doing like you know theater classes Mm -hmm. in high school and stuff but I had also done like some theater summer camps Mm -hmm. like you know I don't know after eighth grade or something and that's kind of where I found improv a little bit and that was like a unit you know that they did and I was like oh I like this better than I like doing i don't know so this is like shakespeare or 14 15 years old yeah like wow. yeah and then basically there was like a teen improv troupe that i joined and and that's kind of where i found out about second city and io and chicago and stuff so. so was the reason that you went to college in chicago that you wanted to be there or was it being there that really made you explore what they had to offer in terms of comedy? I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I definitely went there knowing, like, oh, there's this whole scene that I want to, you know, get involved in. And pretty much right when I got to Chicago, I started taking classes at at I.O. while I was in college. Mm -hmm. So I kind of did double duty, Mm -hmm. which was great because by the time... You know, I finished my sophomore year of college. I was already performing on teams around the city and stuff, which was really great experience. Yeah. So this was Columbia College in Chicago, Uh right? What was your major? I majored in acting. So you (laughs) were pretty clear in your own mind that this was the direction you wanted to go um to. i don't know i mean i i it's funny because i majored in acting and i went to a theater school but i never did a single one of their like plays or <laughs> auditioned for them because i always knew i wanted to do comedy but i felt like i wanted to go to college and i don't know right. looking back i kind of wish i would have majored in something just random right, <laughs> you right, know right. that it interests me but yeah i i definitely was going after something so You graduated in 2009. You didn't begin at SNL until 2012. It's not that long, but within those three years where you're now out in the real world, having to, at least to some degree, fend for yourself, I would guess. Like, what were those years? Did they, what were you doing? Did they clarify that this, you know, specifically was what you were wanting to do and was the ultimate goal even then SNL? Gosh, yes to all those (laughs) questions, I think. Um, No, I mean, like I said, I had started performing around Chicago kind of while I was in college. So I was really lucky that when I graduated college, I was already performing in some comedy groups where you got paid. I mean, not much. Obviously, it was like, you know, $80 for a show or whatever. But I had started performing with this musical improv group called Baby Wants Candy. And they did a lot of touring shows. So I would do basically like college shows or community center, like arts community centers, like in Indiana or Ohio or, and you would basically, or Wisconsin, you would like get in a van with seven, (laughs) usually men who were also doing improv and drive around and, and do that. So that was kind of how I made my living. I also worked at a barbershop part time Uh and just like swept hair, but I was mostly performing and then. By 2010, I got hired by Second City to be on one of their resident stages. So I was there for two years, and I wrote two shows there, and that's kind of where Lauren and the producers like found me. What makes Second City such a great breeding ground for people who wind up on SNL or in the world of professional comedy? What is it something about the just the amount of stuff you have to produce or the amount of times you have to perform, or what do you think the biggest value of being there was for you? Gosh, a a lot of things. It's hard to narrow it down to one thing, but 
I mean, at least for me, part of it, I think, was like just quantity of shows. I did shows every night of the week, sometimes two shows in a night. And you get in front of audiences and you do kind of just get that 10,000 hours mm -hmm. of like experience so that I really felt like by the time I was getting to SNL, I was like, well, I have seven years of doing sometimes two shows a night, seven nights a week for the, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, I had really logged a lot of time, even though I was only 25 yeah. and that was huge. And also to, you know, I had been performing at kind of like more, I don't want to say underground comedy clubs, but at Second City, they have like a really broad audience that is from all across America and people on vacation in Chicago and, you know, people from the Midwest. And so it was really good for me to learn how to be a comedian for all types of audiences yeah. and not just like my specific kind of niche group. And I guess when you are working full time with, with Second City, you know that there is a likelihood that SNL, maybe Lauren specifically, are going to show up at some point. I think they pretty much do it every year, right? Mm -hmm. So was that scary to you? Was that exciting? And then when did it actually happen? Yeah, I mean, of course it was really scary. I was in a show with Vanessa Bayer when she got hired to SNL, like uh, two years prior to when I got hired. Yeah. And so that was kind of the first time that I was like, oh man, like I'm in an area where this might happen mm -hmm. to me. You know, that like mm -hmm. kind of freaked me out. <laughs> and I felt like my friend had been like sucked up to right. outer space, you know. <laughs> but then, you know, I don't know. It, what's nice about Second City is you write your show and then you perform your show every night of the week. So you have like a rhythm and you, an ensemble and you're really strong. And so, you know, when Lauren and the producers came, I felt really lucky that I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I've been doing this every night. Right. And like, I, I, I don't have to write anything or make up anything right now. I just have to do what I normally do. And that's kind of what happened, which was so lucky. I didn't just have to do a five minute mm -hmm audition they got to come and see this two-hour show that i had been working on for a year right. you know so it was i don't know well, I, I, that, I hit the lottery i guess no, well, I that, like, I mean, uh, but obviously you were doing something that caught their eye did lauren ever tell you what it was about you that made him ask for a follow-up meeting in new york no now i want to ask <laughs> um i don't know i had a piece that i know that they asked me so after they saw me in the show at Second City, they asked me to come and audition, you know, at SNL. And they asked for a couple specific pieces that I had done in the show okay. to, like, repurpose them and whatever. Yeah. And so maybe it was one of those or some of that. You know, I don't know. So now how long after was it that you get, you know, asked to come to 8H? Yeah, it was just a couple days, really, yeah. where they said, like, oh, you're going to come next week and audition and and then I did five minutes and then I flew back to Chicago and then they flew me back a few days later for a meeting more with like Seth Meyers and the right. other producers and then I flew back to Chicago and then three days later they were like can you come back and do another five minutes of material and flew back to Chicago and then they were like okay can you come for a meeting with Lauren so it was like it the was four thing. trips back wow. and forth when you were doing before you had that sort of decisive final thing with Lauren who were you performing in front of? Well, so he was there for my first audition and the other producers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the, the next meeting was just with more like other writers, yeah. other producers. You know. So would Seth, though, have been one of the people, Seth Meyers? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah I met with Seth both times mm -hmm. I flew out. Yeah. And your own feeling about how it went? Did you think like, nailed it I'm just waiting for the call or how confident were you about how oh, it went definitely not <laughs> nailed it and waiting for the call I don't know I had been really warned that like you would get no laughs and I did get some laughs uh, so that felt good but I yeah. definitely didn't think that I was hired at all right yeah so I guess the the famous thing we always hear about and we've probably had maybe 10 people who have had this moment where they say Lauren calls you into his office you have this conversation and you leave without being totally sure if you have the job. Yes. Was that what happened with you too? 1000% <laughs> exactly what happened to me. And like even in the meeting, he was sort of like, you know, I think, well, he, he started kind of like almost like nagging me in a weird way where he was like, you're very young and you have a lot to learn. And so I was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's it. You're being you know, let down. Yeah. yeah. Like he was just like, you know, maybe in a couple years we'll take a second look. That's what I thought he was saying. Yeah. And then, but then at the very end, he stood up and was like, but I think you'll do very well here. 
And I was like, so is that, what does that mean? Right. And then we hugged and I walked out of his office, still no understanding of what was happening. And then some other producers hugged me. And so I was like, is this good? <laughs> or is this, they feel bad for me. Right. Um, and then I went to my hotel and I got a phone call from a producer who was like, you're hired. Did you know that? And I was like, no, I did. Thank you. <laughs> so That must have been probably one of the great moments, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it felt like totally surreal. And I was, I think I went into full shock where I was just like frozen. But later I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Up until, I guess, pre-debut on SNL in 2012, when somebody in the comedy world saw you and then would want to tell somebody else, you got to check out Aidy Bryant. She's like, who would they compare you to in terms of other comedians? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I remember when I finished my level five, like, graduation classes of I.O., they had written, like, a note in my folder to tell the theater owner, like, she's kind of like this and that. Mm -hmm. And they wrote, she's like an Amy Poehler and an Ethel Merman. And I was, I'll take that, you know? That's a good one. Yeah. I saw that just in a, in a way to connect the thread to Shrill, and I don't know if this was, like, your winking reference here, but I heard that you would get, not infrequently, Rosie O'Donnell or Roseanne or people like oh, that. Oh, yeah, totally. And do you think, was that just purely people being reductive in terms of physicality or was it that do you feel do you yourself see that in terms of style of comedy there's something there I don't think my style of comedy was ever super similar to either of right. them also in that like I wasn't a stand-up like I right. never did stand-up and I always was doing characters and I think like especially at that time like much softer sweeter <laughs> characters so you know I don't know but not the worst people to be compared no, to, pretty, comedian pretty wise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you started SNL, I'm assuming you have little, if any, probably no screen acting experience, right? Zero. Playing to a camera. Yeah. Also, maybe not having interacted that much with tr really famous people. Never. Right. Yeah. So all of that, and I'm sure many other things, probably required an adjustment. I don't know if you came to New York. At that point, I think you already were dating the person that you're now married to. Yes, right? that's Was he true. able to join you? Yeah. I mean, well, so when I was auditioning, we kind of were like, what's going to happen? Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> right. Hopefully. I don't know. And then when I got the job, we sort of were like, okay, I think you should come with me. And he was like, okay, I think I'll come with you. And I mean, we were very lucky that like sort of at the exact time that I was being hired to SNL, he was accepted to this like Just for Laughs festival showcase mm -hmm. where then he was seen by Seth Meyers completely separately of Seth right. knowing that we were a couple and was hired to write for Seth Meyers' new so show that was starting the, the next year. Building. Yeah, so it was very insane that we were wow. almost simultaneously both hired for jobs in 30 Rock. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, amazing. and we live, we truly, our offices were like not far from each other. That it was crazy. so great. Yeah. Well, so at least with those other things though, with the camera, with celebrities, with other, just the, the schedule of the grind of doing SNL, I'm sure that takes an adjustment. There's an adjustment period. Who, if anyone, was key in terms of like taking you under their wing, showing you how it's done, yeah. being nice? I mean, so, so many people, it's impossible to list. I mean, I was, like I said, I knew Vanessa Bayer right. really well, and we had done shows together in Chicago for years. Right. And so I so, I mean, even moving to New York, I had no idea where to live. <laughs> and I basically told my real estate broker, I was like, here's where Vanessa Bayer lives. I'll live <laughs> anywhere within like a mile <laughs> radius. Like, I just didn't right. know where I was or what was happening. Right. But so she was really great. I mean, Fred and and Bill and Jason and Keenan were really good about, like, because I think something that people underestimate about SNL is it's so technical. It's it's not only is it, like, three-camera stuff, but because it's live, you have to hit your marks exactly perfect, and there's, you're using cue cards. And so it's really extremely technically mm -hmm. complicated, and you kind of have to know when the camera's on you, and if you're in this shot, you need to turn out that way. And it's that stuff is like it's not even normal on camera right. experience it's so much more it's old school yeah. it's really old school <laughs> wow. and so that stuff 
like those senior cast members really, really helped me okay. with. And now I try to help the new people right. or even our hosts because it is it's a lot to understand. Right. For people who may not know, can you share what the average week looks like for SNL? Yeah. So Monday, we go in and we pitch the host, which basically means you say one or two quick ideas to the host. And it's it's kind of a chance for us to meet them and like see what their energy is like and be like, oh, they might be good as a teacher or a lumberjack or, you know, you just kind of see what their vibe is. And then it's also kind of us making them feel like, oh, we've been working. We all have all these ideas for you, you know. And so that's Monday. It's kind of quick, kind of easy. Tuesday is our writing night. So we write all night long. A lot of people come in around noon and most of the writers spend the night there. A lot of the cast goes home, mm-hmm. even just for a couple hours for a shower and, mm-hmm. a, and a nap because we have the table read on Wednesday. So we read all the sketches that everyone wrote, usually around 40 sketches. And that happens at around three o'clock. So you'll the turnaround is really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you've stayed up all night. Everyone there has stayed up all night, and now you're going to read all those sketches. So the cool thing about the table read is everything is done 150%. So any music is there, fully produced. Any, you know, it's really, it's, you get the full vibe. There's microphones, it's, there's a piano, there's, it's a whole damn thing. (laughs) And then after the table read, there's a meeting with Lauren and the producers and the hosts and the head writer, and they kind of pick you know, the funniest or sometimes the most exciting or topical or whatever sketches from the table read, usually like somewhere around 9 to 12. And then that's when they put up a list. (laughs) We see what's been chosen. And then you start to have an idea of like what the rest of your week is. And if you have a sketch that's been chosen, you go to design, you meet with costume hair, talk about how you want it shot, all that stuff. So then they start building sets, making wigs, building costumes. Thursday, we're rehearsing and doing rewrites. So you'll rewrite your sketch and then, you know, start blocking things that are kind of simple and then blocking things that are harder, that have like a lot more technical elements you'll do on Friday. And then also on Friday, you're shooting the pre-tapes. So there's usually two that shoot in the morning and one that shoots overnight. And I've had weeks where you're on all three and you block in the live studio. So it's like a 22-hour day. It just depends. (laughs) But yeah, and so then I've had times where I've shot until 7 in the morning on Saturday. And then at noon-ish, you come in. You go through all the sketches in hair and costume and with water or blood or whatever is going to, a donkey or whatever is going to happen. And then you dress dress rehearsal at eight o'clock and the show, there's a meeting in between dress and air to go through all the changes. Mm -hmm. And then all those changes happen and 1130 you do the show. Wow, (laughs) That was a very long winded way. It's great. It's great. And I, cause I think people, you guys make it look easy and I know it's not. So I think it's helpful to realize that so can i prompt you to talk about a few (laughs) of the more memorable i'm not sure i'm sure i'll miss a few but a few of the more memorable characters or sketches that you've been part of there just like whatever first comes to mind so there's just about five or six of these so okay first one of the two cousins the other played by your fellow SNL class of 2012 rookie <laughs> Kate McKinnon, these two cousins who run the Smoky Farms meat gift delivery service. Oh, yeah. That was very fun. <laughs> we It's sort of based on my husband, honestly, really? who he has like, since we got our dog, he's been unable to eat meat <laughs> because he's like, it looks just like a pig. Right. And, you know, I love it so much. Right. And so we were thinking about sort of a service for people who are having those ethical questions yes. about meat. And so it's like, you know, animals who are dumb or yes. bad or mean, and you can eat their meat. Right. And basically what happened was when we did it in rehearsal, we just had pictures of meat, right. and we went through it, and we were like, oh, it feels kind of stale with just showing these pictures. And we were like, maybe we could get real <laughs> things. And so then when we did it for real, we had actual meat that we didn't think about would stink very badly (laughs) and kate is vegan and i barely eat meat and so we were it was a lot yes (laughs) it smelled very bad and we both we couldn't not comment on it so then you had 
was it Colin you were getting it in yes. his face? Or oh, what? my yeah. God. We were like, he has to be a part of that this. <laughs> so I guess you and Kate really seem to have bonded. I think you shared an office or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So then you're back playing Fats, one of a duo of cops, the other played by her, called, <laughs> whose name is Dyke in that <laughs> sketch. So Dyke and Fats, kind of like a buddy cop thing Yeah. <laughs> with Louis C.K. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did it a couple times, but yeah. I mean, that was sort of started out of our friendship. We used to share a dressing room when we very first started mm-hmm. with also with Cecily Strong and and we've shared an office for most of our time there and uh, yeah you just you because of the hours at SNL you're there so long you become kind of like siblings and mm-hmm. that kind of started we started calling each other Dyke and Fats because we just <laughs> I don't know we were like started because we were tired yeah, basically crazy, yeah right? we were losing our minds <laughs> and then we started talking about oh what if we did it as maybe like a cop thing like a quick teaser and we asked Seth Meyers about it and we were like they would never let us do that right on NBC say Dyke and Fats <laughs> about ourselves and he was sort of like I don't know put it to the table see if it's funny and we did and then we got to do it and it was totally surreal and really fun. Megan, a host of Girlfriends Talk Show, along with Morgan. No, I mean, yeah, that was that's like a really special sketch to me because that was sort of one of the first sketches that I got to be like, you know, one of the center people with Cecily. And she and I also both from Chicago and like started together. So that was just like the coolest. And yeah, we in our first season had like a recurring sketch, which felt crazy and like totally felt so uh like a life raft to me in the beginning which is so it's just scary well you know? we should you know remind listeners that especially when you're in as you were in that first just the first year you were a featured player right yeah. you were elevated after that yeah but some featured players you can go a whole episode you won't see them totally so that's yeah. a big thing to have no the character that you're associated with yeah it felt it felt really special and especially because we were both brand new and we you know often the format of the sketch was it was just the two of us and the host and so it felt like a huge vote of confidence that meant a lot to us Adele yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah the coolest I mean I'm like a huge fan I did I did her in my audition and yeah I and then you know she was on the show when we did this video sort of based on one of her songs and that was like the coolest ever and she was so cool about it and yeah it was really fun (laughs) adb who wants to be like cardi b oh yeah (laughs) Uh, again like just kind of one of my friends at at the office oz rodriguez who's directed a ton of videos there he was like you got to do something with cardi b and i was like okay (laughs) so we kind of wrote that up and it was a really wild week but it was really fun (laughs) The chicken who is promised a relationship with Ryan Gosling <laughs> yes. if he if he can escape his legal problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that one. That was one of the coolest costumes I've ever yeah. been able to wear a full, like sort of beautiful chicken yeah. costume. Yes. But yeah, that was really cool. And honestly, I have a picture of what it looked like on Friday night when we rehearsed it. And it looked like sort of just a potato with like a (laughs) almost like a wing, like a sling. And then by Saturday, it was like a fully feathered, amazing thing. And Ryan was so cool about that sketch. He just was treating it with all the like integrity (laughs) and artfulness as if it was like, you know, a real Scorsese film or something. Well, I think a lot of people were jealous because I believe you get a smooch from him at the end. Well, I do what I have to. Yeah. (laughs) And then, last but certainly not least of the ones I'm going to ask you about, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who I think you kill with that one. So I think you were even doing her before she was the press secretary. She was like the deputy to Sean Spicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. So what's what's the key to her? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm, like, not an impressionist. It's really not my zone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I usually try to boil them down to, like, a character Mm -hmm. that they remind me of. And I always think of her as sort of like a southern football coach. Because when (laughs) she, like, starts her press conferences, there's always sort of like, okay, guys, like, you know, kind of energy. And I think that's, like, you know, there's there's a tie in there. I'm like, okay, I can wrap my head around that. So what sort of a reaction has your impression of her gotten from both the public and from the friends of the Trump administration since you've been doing it? These are people that are have yeah, opinions. I don't really know. I mean, I don't know. I've never like heard anything from her. I know yeah. her dad like maybe said something that he didn't like it. But yeah, I mean, I think 
that's kind of what it is when you're in right. you're yeah, in any administration and SNL is going to take you on. To, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't know. I try to stay out of that. But <laughs> you when know? the you know at a time I guess when the country is so politically on edge, yeah. do you hear both glowing things from one side and then just horrible things from the other fully yeah Yeah. i mean i definitely like got off of twitter partially because of the way people were tweeting at me like about sarah huckabee sanders because it made me so sad because it was really like 50 percent were you know like conservative people being like you're a fat ugly pig who shouldn't play this strong woman and then it was 50 percent you know (laughs) like liberal people being like you're too gorgeous and sweet to play that like disgusting liar who's whatever and i was just like this is only Toxic. dark, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you did have a taste directly of Mr. Trump because he hosted yes. SNL while you were there, I think 2015. Yeah, that's right. Before anyone really thought he had a shot. Yeah. What was that like? Did you have any interactions? Well, yeah. I mean, of course, he was the host. Yeah. I think it definitely was a different time in that he didn't even have the nomination then. And right. so... I don't know. I think, if anything, I think a lot of us felt like him hosting SNL before the primaries. It was just like, oh, this is a joke, Mm -hmm. you know, like this guy's not anything real. So absolutely shocking (laughs) to to see it on the other side. What's he like, though, in terms of just in comparison to other hosts? Was he pleasant to work with? Did he do his job in that capacity? You know, I mean, I wasn't. I weirdly was not in that show very much, yeah. and so that does like affect how much FaceTime yeah. you have with the host. So I, I don't know. Yeah. And I I mean, I certainly think it was a memorable week because of everything yeah. that happened since, but but I don't have like specific yeah. you know memories yeah. that I'm like, oh, when that happened, I don't know. <laughs> I really I really don't. Right. So in twenty fourteen you got your first Emmy nomination for the song about Twin, about the beds. Do it on my twin Do it bed. On my twin yeah. Beds. <laughs> about mm-hmm. when, basically, just to remind people, there was, I guess, most of the actresses on SNL. Yeah, it was the entire female cast yes. at that time. I think it was my second season, and yeah, it's basically a. It's sort of like what Lonely Island did yes. for the boys. We kind of did yes. the girl version yes. of like a girl, like a Pussycat Dolls style music video right. with all the ladies about when you go home for the holidays and you have to like try and be nasty with your <laughs> significant other on your childhood twin right. bed. That yeah. was great. So that was Emmy nomination number one in the category of best original music and lyrics. But then four years later, as in last year, 2018, the real deal... <laughs> happened with Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, you along with Kate and Leslie. Yeah. What was that like? That's got to be a sort of surreal thing. Well, totally surreal. I didn't see that coming at all. And I didn't even know they were like announcing. <laughs> so all of a sudden I woke up one day and was like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really cool. And it was really special to share it with Kate and Leslie. Like we got to, you know, kind of hang together that day. And yeah, it was really, really cool. So... What, you know, we've talked up to this point about all the various comedic specific sketch or or basically sketch comedy up to that point. Mm-hmm. Was non-sketch comedy acting always an ambition? I mean, probably just for like having a career <laughs> that can survive for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I over my time at SNL had been doing little parts here and there on, you know, girls or the big sick or, you know, little things where I was kind of dipping my toe out and just seeing what was out there. Let's not gloss over because these were in some good stuff. And this would, I guess, be during the hiatuses. So as you say, Shoshana's boss, who ends up hooking up with with Ray, the Alex Karpovsky character Mm -hmm. on Girls, Horace and Pete, the Louis show, yeah, Broad City, I think with your husband at one point, and then movies as well, like The Big Sick and I Feel Pretty with Amy Schumer. Mm -hmm. You have said, I think some of these parts were fun and you enjoyed them, but you've also said that when you're out on hiatus looking to do other projects to, I guess, sort of, A, just because you enjoy acting, but I'm sure also looking to set up the next phase of your life, which everybody has to do something after mm-hmm. SNL, you were encountering parts that were less inspiring. What what kinds of things were you seeing? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I should say, like, you know, all those things that I did, they were all people who I really admire and loved working with, and it was great, and, you know, most of them just asked me to do it, which was lovely. I think the things that I was finding were things where I was going to have more of a leading role. A lot of them sort of had a similar theme, which was, like, you know, a man gets hit by an anvil and suddenly he's attracted to me. Or like, I have like a magic power that would suddenly make a man fall in love with me. There was just like sort of a common thread between a lot of them where I was just like, this feels a little demeaning Mm -hmm. and kind of not accurate to my experience in any way, shape or form. And then, you know, I mean, and also like kind of more explicitly insane ones where there was one where like, you know, the whole movie was about like prison prisoners trying to get ugly women to become their prison wife to bring them like food and have sex with them and that kind of thing. And I just always, especially for some of those, I was like, you know, I'm like 25, 26 years old. I'm brand new to this experience, but I think there's more (laughs) out there with more depth or more, I don't know, thoughtfulness or dignity that I was like, oh, I, I, I want for more and I'm not going to take these just because Uh, they would be a starring, you know, situation. uh, And also my sense was that throughout the SNL experience, you at no point were really having to deal with bullshit like that on SNL. Ever at all. And, and, you know, so much of being at SNL is writing for yourself Mm -hmm. and taking things into your own hands. And so I think I just sort of like saw a path for that, you know? The one thing that seems to have happened in connection with SNL, not directly in any way because of SNL, but I guess part of the job is doing promotional activities, and there was some sort of a photo shoot that really, it seems like the way, I think the way you described it was, it lit a fucking fire in me, close quote. (laughs) So what exactly happened there? Yeah, I mean, I... Basically, I think it was like one of the first pieces of press that I had ever done. I like had no experience whatsoever and didn't really know what I was getting into. But and now looking back on it in hindsight, it makes me even more angry because I know how it can be and how it's people's jobs, (laughs) you know, entire jobs. But basically what happened was it was like a photo shoot with Kate, Cecily and I about like the new girls of SNL or something like that. Mm -hmm. And basically when we got there, they had, you know, racks of like 50 dresses for them to choose from. And there were two for me and one looked truly like for a funeral (laughs) mother or something. And the other was like kind of just a weird sack. And I ended up having to wear like one of the dresses that they cut and then they cut to make it like be younger looking and I wore my own sweater and I mean it was just like it was totally dehumanizing and insane and I felt like I was being dressed in a way that was like not appropriate for my age Mm -hmm. and I was 25 and like you know and I was just like oh this isn't fair you know and someone didn't do their job here and that's not fair and it's actually not my fault you know so what did that tell you in terms of what was the fire that it lit what was what was different after that I think the fire that it lit for me was just like oh I'm gonna have to make my own way here and I'm gonna have to be a little you know I don't think it was in my nature to be assertive Mm -hmm. honestly like I was sort of like oh I'm you know I'm happy to be here and and I think really quickly I had to learn to like be like okay and just um does the stylist need guidance because I can send them to four places that would have clothes for me that are age appropriate or you know just like kind of taking things into my own hands and I think for a long time I was like oh that's bitchy behavior and then quickly I realized like no that's advocating for yourself and I'd seen another thing where going back to I I guess this was at Catholic high school you know you had been the prom queen and (laughs) the thing though that you said like that's a nice thing but it also in a way in hindsight is reflective of the fact that you were nice to everybody yeah and in some ways to be that person that everyone likes you have to suppress anything that would have that you know kind of an edge or whatever in terms of looking out for right yeah I mean I think I cared a lot about having people like me for a really long time Mm -hmm. you know and it's still something I try to keep in check right you know so 
This brings us to Shrill, which started on Hulu on March 15th. And I want to ask you about this show. And just, I guess the place to begin is, how did you first become aware of Lindy West? Mm -hmm. And maybe you can tell people who, who she is. And then just also, when did you realize that her book might be coming to TV? Yeah. Well, I first heard of Lindy on This American Life. And I heard basically a piece where, and this becomes part of the show, but where she basically tracked down this troll who was doing like really extreme targeted harassment towards her. As a journalist. As a journalist. Yeah, yeah she had written pieces and this person was just really, they posed as her dead father. They did really aggressive and like hateful mm -hmm. things towards her. And she was able to track them down and talk to them. And and it's a really compelling piece where, you know, she's really honest about how painful it was. And he's really honest about how much he didn't have self-esteem and how seeing her kind of do what she wanted pushed those buttons for him. And so he lashed out. And I was sort of like, whoa, what is this? And then I read her book, which for me was the first time I really saw verbalized so many things that I had felt, you know, and that I didn't know exactly how to like crystallize into a thought. And Lindy is so good at that. And, yeah. and part of what she's writing about yeah. is basically about being a fat woman and how you're living in a world that is constantly telling you you're wrong for even existing. And that you don't have any worth or value or you don't deserve to have a life until you can become thin. And part of what she's, you know, talking about, which now I feel like with body positivity, people are a little more, they know about that kind of thing. But I feel like Lindy was really on the forefront of saying, like, this isn't fair. And there are a lot of people getting very rich on women hating themselves and that is not how I want to live my life and how I have value in my writing and my thinking and all these things. And, and that is what's important to me. And so that's what her book is about and not living in fear of the word fat. And so when I read the book, I just loved it. And then I would say maybe a year or so later, I heard that Elizabeth Banks optioned the book. And I knew Elizabeth because she had hosted at yeah. SNL. And so I called my agents and was like, whoa, do you know? Are they going to make a movie or a TV show? Like, I would love to be involved. And my agents were sort of like, oh, it's weird that you called us because we just got off the phone with Brownstone, her company, and you're sort of their first pick. Wow. So we took a bunch of meetings. And, and basically, you know, I was like, I've been writing and producing at SNL, and it would be very hard for me to not yeah. <laughs> be involved. And so I met with Lindy and Allie Rushfield, our showrunner, and it was sort of like a match made in heaven. Yeah. yeah. So you signed on essentially as not just the star, but co-creator, co-writer. Yeah, producer. Co-executive, yeah. right, producer. What we see in the six episodes that are now on Hulu for the first season are... I guess, a combination of what was in her book, Lindy's book, but also the experiences of the people in the writer's room, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. So in order to ask you about that, I just want to confirm, because I have no desire to use a word that is not what you would want to use, but like, yeah. is the word like you used a minute ago when we're talking about somebody growing up being heavier than average, yeah. is that the word that is fat an appropriate word? To First, me, it's yeah. the appropriate word. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, and this is something that Lindy's talked about too, yeah. is like, it's a descriptive word, yeah. just in the same way that tall or short right. or any of those things. It's, you're, yeah, you're fat. Yeah. I'm fat. It would be a lie to say that I'm not fat. <laughs> I wish I could say I wasn't short. Yeah, you know, we exactly. all have, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think part of it is like, I lived so much of my life yeah. in fear of being called fat. And there is like a real relief in being like, no, I am fat. And and now if I, I don't have to think about how I look in a shirt or whatever, because I can actually think about like <laughs> my family, my friends, my goals, my career, instead of just obsessing about right. being fat. And so, yeah, you know, I think it's uncomfortable for some people to be like, you're fat, you know, well, but I, I think it's, it's been no, of course, absolutely. And it's been used as like, you know, this hateful term, right. you know, but I think. Reclaiming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so since, again, we're, we're, there's this blurring of you and these others with this character and, their, and her experiences, Annie, when in your life 
did you first even realize in your mind that you were fat? Yeah. And how did that affect your childhood and adolescence? Well, it's weird because I don't know that I realized it. I feel like other people realized it and made me know it or something, you know. But, you know, I think part of it is just like being a teen girl in Arizona where people are wearing swimsuits and, you know, I was just like, oh, I've got something different going on, you know. And certainly, like, my mom, my grandma, my aunt, everyone was always on diets. Like, that to that was just, like, normal, you know. And, and so I think I always had a sense of, like, oh, that's what you do. That's just part of your life is that's just being. That's a try to correct this. Yeah, you're just always in search of that forever. For the rest of your life, that's what it is. And I think I kind of hit a point where I was like, oh, I kind of want more. <laughs> so all these years later when, you know, now as a – successful Emmy nominated performer as a wife, as someone who doesn't need to do something that you don't want to do. What made you want to go and, you know, in front of an audience, delve into this subject matter? Yeah. I mean, I think in a weird way, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the types of roles that I was seeing offered to me is like, I think the thing that I kept feeling about those roles is like, oh, they're not looking at these this woman with any kind of dignity. And I think part of the goal of our show is like to create empathy and like to really show this person's full life. And, you know, I think whether you're big or small or whatever, there's a lot of things that people can relate to in this show. But one thing that I hope is that, and we've had people say it to us about watching the show is that like, it creates a lot of empathy for a fat person. So instead of looking at them and feeling like, oh, they're slob, who gave up, they're gross, they're whatever, that like you see that there's like a person under there who (laughs) has thoughts, feelings, desires, all those things. And, And I think that's part of what our show does. And so, you know, part of my hope in doing this show is that I can almost leave this topic behind and get on to the good stuff. For sure. (laughs) But I mean, the thing is, it's so moving and powerful that I feel like people are going to want, you know, hope that there are more seasons of exploration. I mean, I hope there are more seasons. I think there's a lot there and it is like, you know, yes, I'm the six, I'm successful Mm -hmm. if you want to say that or whatever, but it's still an ongoing, like, you know, it's not like confidence is like a switch that you can flip. And so it's an up and down thing and there are things that, you know, can hit you where it hurts. And so I think, I think there's a lot more to be explored there. No, I thought I, I did it all six episodes in one setting, oh. and I thought it was because because I chose to. Yeah. I, I thought I thought it was great, and I really did think that it's in a way. I read one thing that where you said it's like, why am I doing this? Well, maybe it's all sort of for my 14 year old self and for totally. others, right? Because there wasn't a show like this for you, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly I saw fat women on TV here and there but I think the the nice thing about our show is this is this person is truly the center of the story and you really explore them completely and I don't know that I always saw like fat characters given that kind of like emotional nuance and care and and you know having fun and that she has like a full good life too that it's yeah. not all her in like a baggy cardigan being like oh god if right. I could just lose 10 pounds you right. know that that her life is fun too are there other people I mean the the cool thing about SNL is every week you've got some other really talented, well-known person coming through your door. Has there been somebody else who you think you can relate to their experience and their and them to yours in terms of body type in this business where it's a rarity, right? There's not, it's not yet the most inclusive business for various yeah, totally. body types. I mean, I definitely think television is like changing so much and yeah. we're seeing it like open up in a very cool way. I'm so, I wonder if I would have been able to make this show even five years mm-hmm. ago or seven years ago. I don't know. So, you know, yeah, I have lots of great role models, but I feel like it's like we're still on the front of this new yeah. <laughs> new frontier kind of, you know. Well, it feels like one person who you've certainly had a lot of FaceTime with on SNL who did a very tonally different show, but dealing with essentially being fat on TV, being a fat in life was 
was Melissa McCarthy, oh, right? Yeah, Mike totally. and Molly. Have oh you guys God. ever talked about any of this? No, not really. I mean, I feel like so often when we're hanging, it's like at SNL right. and it's like you're you're focused on the task at right. hand yeah, and you're not like just sitting around being like, how do you feel about your body or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's part of what we're trying to show in the show too is like, I don't think about being a fat woman all day long, (laughs) you know, and like I think, and neither does Melissa, I'm sure, you know, so yeah. This was one thing that the show made me wonder. So, you know, based on your life experience and in all the thought that obviously went into writing this show and, you know, kind of getting into the, the minds of both people who are fat and who give people who are fat a hard time, what is the... underlying reason why people can be cruel towards fat people do you is there some common thing that you've figured out i think part of it is the interest in being like i'm not like you we're different you're like how you are and i'm different i would never be like how you are and i think that's like one of the most dangerous toxic things you can say about any type of person, yeah. you know? And so I think that's part of what the show is, again, trying to do is to just, like, humanize again and be like, no, we're all kind of the same. Right. <laughs> yeah. Logistically, how did you make this work? You're, you're doing SNL still. I don't know if there's ever... I can't immediately think of someone else who's had a series simultaneously while still being a cast member on SNL. Wow. How did you make that work? I can tell you someone who did, who I fully stole their model, yeah. which is Fred Armisen. All right, and Portlandia. Yeah, yeah, we shoot our show in Portland. We use the Portlandia crew. And yeah, I'm using the Fred Armisen model, Carrie 100%. One yeah, that's right. Okay, so why is it called Shrill? could have been called anything yeah it's true um i mean we did talk about changing the title mm-hmm. because i definitely think where you're seeing this character now she's not quite in the place to be called shrill but i think that's kind of what she's working towards and i think it still speaks about labels you know and especially for women just in the way that they're f- afraid of being called fat yep. shrill is another one and it's about using your voice so one of the most touching moments i thought in the show was sort of starts with a long take on your face where it's not clear at first and it becomes clear in the course of it why is the camera lingering and it's when you're at this inclusive pool party where Mm -hmm. and then it's sort of I think is signifying that you've basically made a decision to let down your inhibitions if you're ever going to do it it's going to be in this company and then we see you swimming and dancing and just sort of carefree in a way that I don't know if your character had ever been up to that point. Then later in the day, you describe, I guess you're sort of recapping it with your roommate and her new mm-hmm. love interest. And I wanted to ask you, just because I thought it was so powerful, would you be willing to read what your character says in that moment? Oh, Can I give it to you? Sure. Thank you. I was going to say, I definitely it's don't remember me reading. It. I don't want to. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, I was like at that event today and there were so many people just like living in their bodies and enjoying their life. And that was unbelievable to me. And also it's like, okay, cool, man. Very original point. You don't think the whole world isn't constantly telling me that I'm a fat piece of shit who doesn't try hard. Every magazine and commercial and weird targeted ads telling me to freeze my fat off and... At this point, I could be a licensed nutritionist because I've literally been training for it since the fourth grade, which is the first time that my mom said that I should just eat a bowl of Special K and not the dinner that she made for everyone else so that I might be a little bit smaller or so that I could have boys like me. And I honestly, I don't even blame her because... It's a fucking mind prison, you know, that every woman everywhere has been programmed to believe, you know? And I've wasted so much of my time and energy and money for what? For what? You know, I'm fat. I'm fucking fat. Hello? I'm fat. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a hell of a... Did you write that or do you remember who... Yeah, I wrote that. I mean, you know, we did a couple passes at it, but it's certainly... Me and Lindy and and Sam Irby and we did a a kind of a chunk at it, but I did the final pass and I'm really it was a hard day I would say on set and I think for a lot of us, especially us fat ladies in the writers' room, it was like okay, what are we trying to say here? We want to boil it down. 
is it cathartic to actually get that out? Yeah, of course. It still kind of freaks me out to say a lot of it, but it feels good. Yeah. When you went back to work on the most recent season of SNL, the one that's just winding or wound down, I, f- I believe it's uh, just wrapped. Um, yeah. Did you feel any different doing that job having now done Shrill? Was there something that you, because I think, I guess actually in, in leading into your answer that maybe you can just share the timeline of how you made this work because it's in, pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, so we pitched the show and and sort of they bought the pilot script like last year. And then in May, it got picked up and straight to series. And part of that was because we had the summer to make all six episodes. So pretty much the second I finished SNL, we wrote for two months and then we shot for two months. And that's why it's only six episodes yeah, is yeah. it was just all we could fit in and and I mean, we finished shooting, I went to the Emmys, and then I went to, back to SNL, it was that fast. Oh and then yeah, we kind of edited while we were shooting, slash during the fall, and and then I, yeah, I went back to SNL, and it was like a really weird thing to be at SNL and see all my friends again and be doing silly like sketch comedy, but also kind of know that I had shot this thing over the summer and like, you know, hopefully people like it, but we'll see. And then, yeah, it came out in March, and it was a really cool experience to have so much of the cast at the premiere and my SNL friends see it. So, What's that like when, you know, again, such a personal thing, you put out to probably first friends and family, then to the world. What's that like? Yeah, super overwhelming and definitely really tonally different than what I was doing at SNL. But also really felt so like kind of vindicating, you know, and yeah. kind of kind of great. It's like so. another side that people yeah, may totally. not have known. Pitching the show at the beginning, now promoting it, having now that the first season's out, and having to both parts of the process have to be different than in any other thing you've ever pitched or promoted because there is such a personal aspect to it all. You know, if we give you truth serum, is it <laughs> unpleasant or is it? uncomfortable or can you how what how would you describe this um gosh i I wouldn't call it unpleasant or uncomfortable i would call it taxing yeah just in that you know it is hard to like in every interview open up your psyche and self-worth to Mm -hmm. every stranger but i do feel like it's worth it and i i feel like it's working towards a bigger goal and i've gotten so many messages that from people that say that it's helped them or that they really felt seen by it. And so to me, I'm like, okay, it's worth it. And, you know, certainly maybe for my next project, something a little lighter, but yeah. yeah. Will this show, which has gone over great, and the fact that there's going to be more of it, probably more than six episodes Mm -hmm. next season, affect your association with SNL? I know Lauren is an executive producer of this show, so it's not that he's not happy that you're doing both but do you personally envision a time I think you're now going to be going into what would be your eighth if you choose to continue Uh eighth season with SNL can you continue to do both do you want to continue to do both I think I do Yeah. yeah I mean I I really love SNL and it's completely and wholly different from Shrill yeah and so I get a lot out of doing both and I love the people at SNL so much it would be really difficult to leave but right. you know i know that day is on the horizon at some point so although it's got to be funny to look at keenan and see like he was there yeah, a decade before 1, you right, and he's still all right so last question if i told you right now and i i asked this question because i think in a, in some ways it's like at the crux of the show and everything we've been talking about if i told you right now that you could snap your fingers and be any way you wanted to be would you do that or have you concluded that the fact that you've gone through life the way you have has made you the way you are happy being? Gosh, yeah. I mean, I certainly don't have any desire to change uh, who I am. Mm-hmm. And it, I feel I feel very good. good. <laughs> well, thanks. I really found it to be... I, I went in and I'm like, I'm not sure if this is a show for yeah, sure. like, a guy or a guy who you know I have I have my own things I'm short and I have whatever but like am I gonna connect with this and I thought it was terrific so oh, thanks. thanks for doing this thank you thanks for having yeah. me thanks very much for tuning in to awards chatter 
We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's Series Regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.